Hello and welcome to Money Beat Week. This is Steve Grosser with Paul Vina and Liam Denning is joining us from San Francisco. Uh, we'll be talking, the, you know, there are two stories out there today, Black Friday and oil, and we'll be talking about both of those after this. I'm Lex Friedman. I run my own business, so I know from experience, hiring new employees can be tough. Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 50-plus job sites, including Craigslist, LinkedIn, and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 200,000 businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. Um, so, Liam, I mean, obviously the big story yesterday was OPEC's decision not to cut production. Uh, and that is having a dramatic impact on the oil markets today. Um, you know, oil's down below. It was were they close? Well, I think it was below 68. 68. In the 67 range, I think I saw that. And the, all the oil companies, the oil majors are, you know, all down. I think uh, we, had, we had a post saying And 50, miners. And, 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 yeah, miners. and miners. Everybody. Everyone is being hit by this. Um, or anyone, uh, anyone with uh, – any oil companies are being hit by this. Yeah, what's sort of going on and, and why, why did, you know, OPEC decide not to uh, cut production? Well, I think uh, this was a decision led by Saudi Arabia, which is the de facto leader of um, OPEC. It's obviously the biggest producer by far within the cartel and um, also, uh, you know, the most stable. Um, It has the biggest uh, amount of spare capacity. And from Saudi Arabia's perspective, um, you know, they need to look to the long term because they've still got, I mean, you can measure it however you want, but they still have 270 billion odd proven reserves of oil. That's, that's just proven. That's before you even get into possible reserves. So they want to preserve the value of that oil in the ground. Now, they could have joined with other OPEC members and signaled that they were going to cut production. That probably would have juiced prices in the short term, and everyone would have said, wow, OPEC's reasserting its control of the market. But the thing is, OPEC has OPEC kind of lost control of the oil market, you know, I would say probably about seven or eight years ago. Um, I mean, triple-digit oil prices make everyone think OPEC look, looks powerful. Um, but actually, what that high price really reflected in some ways was that OPEC had done a lousy job of ensuring that there was adequate supply to meet rising demand from countries like China. And so triple-digit oil was great because it filled the coffers of places like Saudi Arabia. It, you know, it was great for countries like Venezuela, um, uh, or at least the Venezuelan government to waste, waste lots of money with. And it was great for countries like Russia. But um, two things happened when 
prices spike in commodities markets. One is you encourage consumers to conserve demand, so you end up with things like rising cafe standards and that sort of thing. And you encourage um, people to find alternative supplies, and in this case, the big one was uh, U.S. shale oil. So for Saudi Arabia to cut production now and juice prices, they would risk simply encouraging that trend to keep going. So they've got a, a ton of cash squirreled away, something like 900% of their outstanding government debt in terms of foreign exchange reserves. So they're going to try and wait this out. They're going to let the price fall. Um, they're going to see exactly how far rival producers like U.S. shale, Canadian oil sands, uh, deep water projects. Um, see how they fare at those lower prices. See if those projects keep going. And that way, Saudi Arabia can reassert its market share. And at the same time, it also has a couple of geopolitical beefs with countries like Iran and Russia. So it also gets to uh, stick it to them. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I saw a statement from uh, Putin today saying that we think the OPEC, something along the lines of he thought the OPEC decision was just fine and it's okay for Russia and everything, which I immediately interpreted to mean that he's furious about the decision. Because <laughs> that guy never, ever says what he's really thinking. Of course. I mean, Russia is, you know, Putin's image certainly at home is that of a, a strong man and he's definitely playing the nationalism card and um, he can't be seen to be ruffled by this decision. But you only have to look at what is happening to some companies like, uh, you know, for example, Russia's state oil um, champion, Rosneft. Um, I was looking at Rosneft and um, Petrobras today. Petrobras is the Brazilian, Brazilian oil champion. And in the last two years, we've seen their combined market cap drop by more than half. And at the same time, their combined net debt has more than doubled. So they are going to really be hurting from this. They need much higher oil prices to make their economics work. And in Russia, that's, that's, a, that's a huge problem because if you think the Wall Street banks are too big to fail here, uh, Rosneft is certainly too big to fail in Russia. Yeah, that, that brings up the whole question of, of prices and profitability. And when you start looking at the United States and the energy sector and everything going on with all these different shale formations and all mm -hmm. the smaller companies that have cropped up and jumped in there uh, in the market today. And I know some of this was in terms of the equities market. Some of this was catch up because we were closed yesterday for Thanksgiving. Sure. But you saw 10, 20, 30 percent. These stocks were getting hammered. Yeah. Because I, I think, Liam, you know, you, you're starting to get to the price. You're starting to get the crude, price of crude down to a point where it becomes a question of how profitable it can be, especially because some of these guys went so far into debt to get these operations going. They were borrowing at these ridiculously low rates. They're all over levered. And if you know, the price of oil goes down, how, at what point does this start to become a serious problem? Yeah, well, I think it, it could become a serious problem for some of them reasonably soon. So a few thoughts on that. Um, uh, people are focusing on the, the stock market impact, obviously. Um, I just published a column online, which was actually looking at the debt issue that you raised. So if you look at the energy sector um, in terms of high-yield debt, it is now by far and away the biggest 
subsector of the high yield market, wow. something like 16% of the 1.3 trillion high yield bond market. Um, now, it's not necessarily a case straight away that companies are going to default because if you look at um, if you look at the high yield market for the exploration production sector, only around twelve billion dollars of that high yield debt actually matures in the next three years. The companies mm. have been pretty savvy in terms of pushing out maturities, so that's one thing to bear in mind. Mm -hmm. The problem they have is that the EMP sector is essentially a growth industry. It only really works for investors when it can say, we're, gro we're growing production by this every year. Now, unless you're in some very low-cost shale plays, um, you're going to find it very hard to make the numbers add up on your mm -hmm. production. So you're going to get hit in terms of having to scale back capital expenditure, which means you have to scale back growth which means you're effectively going to be locked out of the financing markets because no EMP investor on either the debt or the equity side is really going to touch you. So the clock is definitely ticking. Um, like I say, a lot of these companies are hedged. They don't have, um, they don't have near term maturities, but if this keeps going and I have a feeling it will in terms of oil prices, staying down, you know, I would say in a year's time, you're probably going to see some companies really hurting. And I actually think what you are going to see is a shakeout in the EMP sector, a shakeout in the master limited partnerships sector, which has been a very popular play for investors. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to see companies like ExxonMobil, which was hit today, but nowhere near to the extent that right, the exploration right. and production stocks were hit, you're going to see them step in and start buying up assets. Hmm. I guess um, the, go, go. I was just going to ask, like, how long, you know, you, you were sort of mentioning, a, you, you were, it sort of seemed like you were suggesting a year or so. How long do you think these low oil prices are going to last? Because that's the real big question I think a lot of the companies are asking themselves now. I don't think we're going to see triple-digit oil on a sustained basis for several years, okay. um, barring some kind of geopolitical shock. I mean, that, that's, right, right. now I know that sounds like a cop-out, but it's, you know, it's, frankly the, it's frankly the caveat you always have to have in the oil market. Right. You mm -hmm. know, if you were to see, and, and weirdly, obviously, with lower oil prices, there's a greater chance of that because you know, there is a good chance that you see real turmoil in places like Venezuela where, where this kind of oil price just isn't commensurate with, with the government really staying solvent at some point. Um, you will see some instability potentially in Russia. Um, you could see instability in places like uh, Iran, for example, although there again, you, you don't really know what's going to happen in terms of their talks with uh, uh, the Western powers over their nuclear program. So I would say barring that, though, this is going to be a process. You know, it, what what Saudi Arabia is trying to do here is see, okay, where is the floor in the market now? Right. Where is the floor where all these competitors actually start to feel the pain and scale back? And like I say, the the U.S. guys... You know, everyone thought shale would shut down below $90 or $80. It hasn't happened. So, 
clearly what everyone was expecting, you know, a year or two ago, uh, doesn't really jive with reality. Um, so now we're going to we're going to to find where that floor is, and and things like, um, you know, a reasonably accommodating stock market, which is still very close to all time highs, you know, zero interest rates, uh, the the problems in the high yield debt market notwithstanding hedging in forward markets. All these things are going to play a role in slowing how quickly the US EMP sector reacts to, um, to the price. this drop in prices. Yeah. So like I said, I think, I think we'll have to see prices come down further and stay down for a little while um, before we see those effects start to really take place. Well, and, and that's the real question, right? On the other side of this, how high can it go? How how low can it go? I mean, I'm looking now, it closed at 66 and change today uh, mm-hmm. down. And again, I know some of that is, it's a bit of a misnomer with, with West Texas, with the U.S. benchmark, because we were closed yesterday. So you know, sure. you're, you're doing it off Wednesday's price, but still, it's down 10%, 66. I think a lot of people looked for a floor in the 70s. A lot of people looked for a floor yeah. from this OPEC meeting. Now that those two things are passed, now that you're into the 60s, now that OPEC didn't act, uh, is this a free fall? I mean, how far can this go? Well, I think... Uh, is a five-handle out of the question? And I don't think it is out of the question, yeah. no. Um, I think... Uh, I don't think we're going to see a three-handle, which mm-hmm. is what we saw um, in the wake of the financial crisis. Um, we're not talking about a collapse in the global economy. Right. Um, but... It, you know, I think every time, as I say, every time someone has said, well, the floor is here, we've gone through it. And I think something we all know is that when, you know, that I was talking to a, an energy economist the other day, a guy called Philip Verlegger, you know, and he brought up the phrase uh, Minsky moment, which is, oh, sure. uh, you know, in, in the famous economist phrase, this is where you go from a period of extreme certainty and optimism about something and you know in this case he compared it to the the uh, the tech bubble at the end of the 90s mm-hmm. so this time it's not the internet but it's the disrupt the, the disruptive technology everyone was focused on was fracking now everyone became super enamored of that high growth high oil prices high chinese demand support from opec None of those things now hold true. And so what you may get is a general pullback from energy. In fact, we're seeing that now. People are suddenly saying, oh, well, maybe, um, you know, maybe the EMP sector can't just keep going up. Maybe production has to come down. Maybe all that money that's been plowed into various prospects around North Dakota aren't going to work for now. Now, having said that, I don't think this portends uh, the end of fracking by any means or the destruction of the U.S. oil industry. All it means is rather like the the bursting of the tech bubble, you're going to have a shakeout. Now, once the shakeout is over, you've still got the assets. We'll still have the shale basins. We'll still have the pipelines, etc. But you're going to have that washout and I think what you're going to see is majors coming in to scoop up some of those assets. You're definitely going to see a slowdown in production growth. 
Um, but longer term, and I think OPEC needs to also think about this, longer term, when prices do start to rise again, you're going to see interest in shale pick up again. It's just that we're going through one of those resets in the market right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is this, in, in terms of the, the effect outside the energy sector, I mean, this is just starting. You know, you talk about all that debt that they issued. Who's on the other side of that debt and what, how are they going to respond to it? And energy was going to be one of our big sectors that was going to really reshape the economy and was going to be one of the growth drivers. Well, if that goes away, there, there, there goes a big leg under the economy. I, I don't think we really understand exactly all the ramifications of this yet. And I have to say, this is just a little bit of a soapbox, but this is one of the things that drives me crazy about Wall Street because when energy prices were going up, Everything was great. Oh, energy, energy, energy. This is great, great, great. Now that they're all coming down, nobody even wants to talk about the downside of it. It's just, oh, well, this is great for the consumer. The consumer's got more money in his pocket. This is great. It's always great. Everything's always great on Wall Street. Like, there's <laughs> nothing's ever bad. When prices go up, it's good. When they come down, it's good. There has to be something bad. If it was all so good when it was going up, there has to be a downside to that. And I think we're going to start seeing the downside of that. We haven't even thought about it yet. Well, we have started to see the downside in certain respects. I mean, we've seen, you know, Continental Resources, for example, which, by the way, just sold off all its hedges for the next two years in a spectacularly ill-timed move. Um, uh, The last time I looked at its stock, it was down almost a fifth today. Um, You are seeing that now. Well, I mean, I mean, outside the energy sector, outside the energy sector, Wall Street, they're all because everything's interconnected now. I get what you mean about Wall Street's optimism, but you know. Net-net, the U.S. is still a net oil importer. So this will be good for consumers at the margin. Now, will it be an enormous stimulus? That I don't know. You know, I have a niggling worry here, which is we've seen oil prices come down because of, you know, quote-unquote excessive supply. But the other side of that equation is weak demand. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason we're seeing excess supply is that forecasts for demand have been coming down and down and down. And a lot of that is a global problem, really. And we're seeing it in other commodities markets. You know, we've seen the iron ore price plummet. We've seen Mm -hmm. crop prices plummet. We've seen uh, a continued, um, continued decline or declining trend in a lot of industrial metals markets. that's telling you that this isn't really, well, at least it's telling me that the oil market's problem isn't an isolated one, Mm -hmm. that there is a growth problem outside of, uh, certainly outside of the U.S. And it just happens to also be coinciding with the fact that after all those years of the commodity super cycle, the investments that were made in new capacity are actually now starting to come through. So, and in typical commodity market fashion, you know, it's always so badly timed (laughs) in terms of demand. Right. So who who do you view as like the sort of, you know, who are going to be the winners, who are going to be the losers in the sort of, you know, slide in oil prices? Losers, um, EMP investors and bondholders, definitely. Um, I think the MLP sector is very exposed here, partly because it wasn't underpinned just by the, you know, quote-unquote certainty of high oil prices supporting ever more um, U.S. production growth, um, but it was also supported by 
complete faith in U.S. interest rates not going up. And both those on both those fronts now, they face uncertainty. So there's that. I, I do think um, majors like Exxon, Chevron, yes, they're going to get hit, and they got hit today. Um, but their key issue isn't really growth per se. In fact, investors have been telling them for the past year or so, stop investing in production growth. What those guys really worry about is getting access to large-scale uh, reserves on good terms. And in that way, the, the lower oil price actually helps them because it will, A, convince some EMP companies to sell and at much lower valuations. The premium of EMP companies to Exxon stock has been slashed by two-thirds since the summer. And the other area where they may gain in that respect is um, you know, a retreat in terms of resource nationalism on the part of resource-rich countries. I mean, Venezuela is actually a good example. Here is a, a country that was very aggressive towards Western majors when oil prices were high and the government was dictating terms. I think the shoe is, is really going to be on the other foot now and um, they may become much more amenable to uh, offering concessions. Um, now, whether, you, whether an oil major would actually want to invest in Venezuela at this moment in time is, is a different matter, but I think that dynamic will play out in other areas of the world as well. Well, I guess one question too is, is what does this mean for OPEC? Um, you know, because it, it seems like, you, you know, the members have different sort of, you know, wants and desires. Um, you know, it, it, could you see OPEC fraying and, you know, if this long term? I mean, OPEC is, you know, as cartels go, OPEC is a pretty shoddy one and has been for a while. Um, it's last, it was, it was, it did pretty well when oil prices collapsed at the end of uh, 2008 um, because it was staring into the abyss. And it was good in 98 when, again, they were staring into the abyss. And both times it showed discipline and it got the oil price back up. If you look at it today, it's, it's such a motley collection of countries <laughs> now with very different... Um, aims and resources and I think the, 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 the thing that's happened since 2008 that, that complicates everything is the Arab Spring um, because there has never really been any great love lost between Iran and Saudi Arabia right. but now they are at real loggerheads and um, you know and in terms of for ex just for one example the, the civil war in Syria and Saudi Arabia can see a lower oil price helping it on several fronts. Um, and the same goes for the Gulf states as well. You know, this helps to flush out some higher priced competition, which, uh, going back to the point I made earlier, helps to preserve the value of their, of their reserves in the ground. And it also uh, undermines the ability of Saudi Arabia's geopolitical rivals to make trouble. 
Um, so what you really have in OPEC now is is at least two camps. You know, you kind of have the haves who built up reserves, um, have a you know a, a, a robust oil industry, can afford to ride out these cycles, and then you have the have-nots who, you know, quite often can't even produce to their supposed targets. Um, and, you know, struggle to get investment, um, have pretty shaky fiscal positions. Um, and, you know, y- y- that kind of dynamic does not make for a disciplined, coordinated approach. Now, they're going to meet again next summer, um, but it-, it really has to be asked at this point you know what what they really can agree on when the when the divisions between them are so stark i think that's a good place to sort of end in uh, this week yes absolutely thank you very much liam um, thanks a lot it's great having you on again uh, this has been steve grosser paul vini and liam denning uh join us next week wix.com lets you easily create a beautiful professional website for free with hundreds of stunning templates cool features and popular apps you can get your business online today start now at wix.com that's wix.com you've been listening to the money beat podcast stay connected to the wall street journal radio network by following us on twitter at wsj radio